countless times in the first five years at Main Street, I thought to myself, I wonder what Dave would do in this situation. Sometimes I called him and asked him what he would do in this situation. Dave is worthy of imitation, and in many ways I stand as a pastor in this church today because of Dave Keene. Um, <clears throat> uh, Y'all remember Joey Allen. Um, Dave actually came to preach here once before on a Sunday evening. Uh, anybody here? No, I know Diane said she remembered it. Uh, maybe a couple, it was a small room, right? Small room. He came here to preach on a Sunday night, uh, and he preached 1 Corinthians 5 and told us to purge the evil from among us and clean up our church membership roles. Um, it didn't happen for another three more years, but uh, thankfully he's not preaching 1 Corinthians 5 today. But after that, Joey was there, and he said, man, that is you in 10 years. That's probably one of the best compliments I've ever received. I would hope to be somewhere close to where Dave is in 10 years from now. <clears throat> and what reason this gives us all the more to boast in Jesus Christ? Because Dave was just a wayward sinner who was snatched up by the good shepherd. He was just a guy who heard the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and was never the same. And in the Lord saving this one soul, Dave has become a spiritual father to me and to many more. And Jesus gets all the glory for it. So I'm excited for him to preach to us Romans chapter 1 this morning. Let's pray for him one more time. Father, speak to us by your word. Teach us, transform our hearts. Help us to treasure Jesus. Teach us the truth. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, I was thinking about giving him a hug, and then I realized I might start crying if I gave him the, the typical bear hug. Um, uh, it is a, a joy, uh, beloved, to be able to be in your presence today as we study God's Word. Uh, one of the, the things that um, uh, Dale just mentioned, that life is relational. Uh, life is about uh, a relationship that we have with each other. This is what happens in the life of the church. And I just want you to know that my church, Park Baptist Church, has been praying for this church for many years, right? Uh, Dale came on a Wednesday night and just kind of shared his heart with us. And just that one brief interaction he had with my congregation, people are still talking about his heart and his love for the local church. Uh, so our church is a different place, right, uh, in terms of our relationship with this church because of, of him. Uh, and it's a joy that I get to send you greetings uh, today from uh, the people of Park Baptist Church, knowing that they are praying for our time uh, together today. Well, we are going to be in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 1, chapter 1, uh, to get, give us context. And then we're really just going to look at two verses this morning. God's Word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power by the Spirit of holiness and his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of his name, obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that... I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I might reap some 
harvests among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, for I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father, now I just pray that the word that is sown would fall on fertile soil. I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our collective hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. We pray, God, that you would take this seed and that you would plant it deep into our hearts and it would reap a harvest 30 to 60 to 100-fold. We pray, God, that you would work this message for our good, but ultimately for your glory's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I moved to Washington, D.C. in 2002 uh, after college to become a teacher through a program called uh, Teach for America. Uh, they would take recent college graduates, kind of drop them in rural or urban areas where it was difficult to, to find and keep teachers. Uh, I was raised outside Chicago in the northwest suburbs, and Chicago was my first choice. But I was placed in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, the following year, I was sitting in my apartment uh, listening to a sermon by Tim Keller on, Genesis, on Jeremiah 29. In the middle of the passage, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Babylon, this words, Jeremiah 29, 7, But seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Uh, the sermon had a profound effect on me as a young 23-year-old. 23 23 uh, I felt the need to seek the welfare of Washington, D.C., uh, uh, the city I was carried into exile. Uh, I needed to give myself to the city for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. In 2005, the Montreal Expos became the, the Washington Nation Nationals. Uh, the city I was called to serve just got a new baseball team. I felt I needed to be a fan, to seek the welfare of the city. The problem was I was a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan. I grew up listening to Harry Carey and Steve Stone, the play-by-play of uh, the Chicago Cubs the, on WGN and the 120 day games. Mark Grace, Ryan Sandberg, Andre Dawson were my heroes of childhood. But I was in exile in Washington, D.C., and I needed to seek the, the welfare of the city. The Chicago Cubs came to Washington, D.C. to play the newly minted Washington Nationals in RFK Stadium. I went wearing a Washington Nationals hat. I was going to be for the city, for the gospel. The first Cub fan I saw, I felt so much shame. I felt like a traitor. I know it's only a sports team, but I found myself unable to look another Cubs fan in the eye. As the game continued, I, uh, the, old, the shame only increased. I, every time the Cubs would get a hit or score a run, something in me wanted to cheer, but I made my choice. That is until about the fifth inning, when I took off the Nationals hat and followed where my heart belonged. I turned my, back, uh, to root for the, turned my heart back to root for the Cubbies. The intense feeling of shame that I had felt was gone. I was no longer ashamed to be a Chicago Cubs fan. Shame really is an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, we have all felt it. 
It's an intense feeling that kind of leaves an indelible mark on the soul. Whether it's being called up before class and not knowing how to spell a word when you're in elementary school, uh, or being rejected when you ask the girl to the prom, or when you lie to your parents about where you were the night before, or when you followed the lust of your flesh into sin and rejected God's good word. Shame makes us hang our heads. It erodes our confidence. It causes us to hide and allows us to put a facade to protect us from being truly seen by others. Have you felt shame? Uh, My hope is that you would kind of be like me in the fifth inning of the Chicago Cubs Nationals game in 2005, that you would leave your shame behind and that you would find peace this morning. Uh, The peace I hope you'd find is that you would be able to know God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans is a great summary of Paul's uh, theology, his theology of the gospel. Uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17 is is really the theme of the entire letter. Uh, Look with me again in verses 16 and 17. Uh, the, the Word of God writes, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I pray that you will be able to say with Paul and all the saints who belong to Jesus Christ that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, we're going to work through this with really with five points. The, the first one is I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and then everything else is a sub-point of that, of that first point. So number one, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel of God to take it to the Gentiles. Uh, he had been wanting to come to Rome for, for years, but the Lord had providentially hindered him uh, from coming. So he, he'd have an effective ministry among other areas, other churches, and Gentiles there as well as in Rome. And yet he felt compelled to come to Rome. Look at verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, I am under obligation to the Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. See, Paul felt this burden to share the gospel with all people, especially the Christians who are in Rome. Remember, as we began reading this letter, he said to those who belong to Jesus Christ, to, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called according to, called to be his saints. The gospel is for all people. It is for those who have not heard the good news and of those who have heard and already believed and are believing the gospel. The gospel, friends, is the cure for our shame. It helps us come to grips with who we are and what to do about it. The reason we feel shame is because we are sinners. We have followed in the footsteps of the first Adam and who disobeyed God and ate from the tree. God commanded them not to eat of this particular tree, and he did. And we see in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Genesis, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid because they were ashamed of what they did. They knew they deserved to be punished for rejecting God's rule in their lives. And friends, we know it too. We feel shame when we sin and when we do wrong. And and we know deep down that we deserve to be punished for our sin. 
Children hide from their parents when they discover they snuck candy out of the cupboards. And we hide from God because of our envy, our anger, our lust. We are ashamed of our sins, so we hide from God. That may not look like hiding. Some of us mask it pretty well. We may try to stay so busy, sometimes even stay so busy serving the church that we don't have to deal with the shame that really plagues our hearts. We may actually think this flurry of activity will in some way make it up to God for what we have done wrong. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ exposes us. It tells us who we are. We are sinners. We have rebelled against God and deserve his wrath. But the gospel tells us so much more. Friends, God sent Jesus Christ to take the cross for sinners. Jesus lived a life without shame. He never did anything to be ashamed of, but rather he lived in a perfect obedience to his Father. And Jesus willingly laid down his life to rescue ashamed sinners like you and I. Hebrews chapter 12, 2 says this, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So in the cross, we see two simultaneous messages. On the one hand, it shows the just punishment for sin. See, sin separates us from God and deserves to be punished like Jesus was punished on the cross. So every time we see Jesus hanging on the cross, we should, re- should be reminded that that should be us. The gospel tells us that we are sinners. But on the other hand, it tells us that we are loved. Jesus despised the same of the cross through his resurrection from the dead, and now allows us, which, which, sorry, which he despised the same through his resurrection from the dead, which allowed him to be seated at the right hand of God on the throne of grace. Jesus conquered our shame because he has taken it for us. See, there's a difference between guilt and shame. One writer puts it this way, showing the difference. Guilt and shame are related, but not identical experiences. Guilt is something you may or may not feel. It's possible to be guilty and not feel guilty, just as it's possible to feel uh, guilt and not be guilty. A, a criminal may walk away from the courtroom with the objective sense of status of guilty, but may personally feel defiant, numb, or, or even cheerful. Conversely, a tender-hearted person may experience feelings of guilt for things that they were just mistakes or, or for nothing at all. All our consciousness are like faulty alarm systems, sometimes sounding off when there is nothing and other times failing to alert us there's a major problem. Shame tends to be subjective. Shame is felt. It is felt by the whole person. Guilt says, I did the wrong thing. Shame says, I am the wrong person. Guilt is able, to, is able to focus on a specific event or action. Shame takes over a sense of who a person is. Guilt is personal. A young boy can kill a frog for fun and then not feel, and feel terrible about it. Well, no one needs to have seen it or objected to it. But shame is social. Shame is, is about how others see us. It has to do with our standing before others. 
To be humiliated or defiled before others is to be shamed. The gospel does not merely solve our guilt, it solves our shame. Jesus took our shame and our disgrace. He was publicly mocked, spit upon, beaten, nailed to the cross, naked, and hung on the side of the road so that all could see it as they passed by. He was shamed so you and I could live unashamed. The gospel tells us that we are sinners who are loved by God and called to be his saints. It says that we do not have to hide anymore. God knows our sins, but he has not turned his face from us. Here, here, let me say this again. God knows your sin, but he does not turn his face from you. He sent his son to die for us so that we could call him father. This is why Paul can write, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power for God for salvation for all who believe. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The gospel tells us that you do not have to hide. We can confess our sins to God who is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We now have an advocate who stands before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, whoever pleads our case before him. So you and I have no need to fear. God knows our sin and loves us anyway. Friends, this is not the best news of the world. The one who knows everything about us loves us. Christian, you you have no need to be ashamed because you are forgiven. Non-Christian, if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you too can be forgiven today if you turn to Christ in faith. Jesus will take your shame. But you must repent and believe in him. See, Paul does not say that he's not ashamed of the gospel, but he tells us why he's not ashamed, which is our second point. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For it is the power of God. The good news is so good that we may be tempted to doubt it. This is why Paul underscores the power of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Paul often speaks of the power of God throughout this uh, epistle. He even says at the beginning of, of, of this letter in verse 4, he says that he was declared to be the, 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 the Son of God in power by the Spirit of holiness in his resurrection from the dead. See, the resurrection is proof that, of God's power. Only God can overcome the grave. No one can escape death because it is the consequence of sin. The wage of sin is death. We all deserve death because of our sin. But Jesus died and was raised in power. He was raised in power as the first fruits, as the sign of the future resurrection of those who believe. As someone in, in my church went to, to be with glory this morning, as someone in your church may be ready to go to glory, we can have faith in those moments. Why? It's because Jesus Christ in power was raised from the dead. We do not have to be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that overcome, overcame the grave. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, right now, beloved, the gospel destroys the power of death. You don't have to fear death anymore. Because in power, Jesus Christ was raised from 
the dead. And Jesus Christ has said, if you share in a death like mine, if you believe that I died for your sins, you will have a resurrection like mine as, as well. We no longer have to fear death because the gospel is the power of God. It really does save us from the grave. Number two, the second reason why Paul is, is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is salvation for everyone who believes. It is salvation for everyone who believes. Beloved, don't you just maybe stop for a second and think? For 59 years, the saints of this church have said, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We believe wholeheartedly in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray it's 59 more years that this church would stand and declare, we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, the Jew first and also the Greek. The gospel saves us from death and hell for everyone who believes. It saves us from the wrath of God. I mean, imagine standing before the Hoover Dam with, with the great mountains on, on both sides and, and you see the, the dam begin to crack right? And the, the, the walls come down and the, the flood of waters come rushing towards you. And you know there's no way I can go up. There's no way I can go to the right. There's no way I can go back. I'm not going to escape this flood of, of water. So you just stand and wait for it. And then 50 feet before that water comes to you, a huge chasm opens up right before you and swallows and absorbs all that water and you are safe. Friends, this is the gospel. We are safe from the, 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 the fury of God's wrath that is coming towards us. The wrath of God is coming and no one can stop it. You need to be saved from it. The gospel saves us from the wrath of God. This is why when it says it is salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. See, Paul here references how the gospel first came to the Jews. For the Jews were the chosen people of God. We see that in, in the Old Testament. They received the word of God through the prophets, already referenced in Romans 1 verse 2. Uh, they received the law through Moses, and they received salvation through Jesus Christ, uh, a Jew himself from the line of Abraham. Now, although Paul will emphasize this point throughout the letter, here the emphasis is not the uniqueness of the Jews in salvation history, but rather how salvation is open to all. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for salvation is for everyone who believes. It does not matter what your past is. It does not matter how many sins you have committed. It does not matter how your family heritage. It does not matter where you were born. The only things that matter is if you believe. And friends, that is not only true for you, that is true for everybody in your life. I know, as, as you probably have, people in your life that you think, can they be saved? Can God's hand reach them? Because of the things that they are into. What are they giving themselves to? Friends, hear me. The gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. All you need to do is believe. And you will be saved from the wrath of God. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus was, lived a perfect life and died in the place of sinners. Do you believe Jesus was raised from the dead in power and is seated at the right hand of God? Do you believe Jesus the promise, promises salvation for all who come to him? Friends, do you believe this morning? If you and I believe in Jesus, we have no need to be ashamed. Friend, if you are a non-Christian, you can be saved from the wrath of God. Again, if you turn for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved today. And there may be some of you here who may be hiding from your spouse, maybe hiding from your parents, 
You may be hiding from things because of the shame that you have done. Hear me. When you come clean, there can be freedom and your shame will cease. It's a guaranteed promise offered to all. Do not leave today without finding peace in Christ. Beloved, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for all who believes. And yet, what does our culture say to us? Our culture wants us to be ashamed of the gospel. Our culture hates the exclusivity of the gospel. Christians are demonized as hateful, close-minded, bigots, because we believe in the exclusive claims of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We are viewed as intolerant and unwelcoming of others. Beloved, Christianity is exclusive, but is the most inclusive, exclusive religion there is. Christianity says all are welcomed. Every single person in the world is welcome, but they must come through Jesus. The door is always open, but you have to walk through that door. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way of salvation. There is no other entry. See, our, our culture wants to demonize us for not believing the, the many ways that one can find salvation. That they want us to, 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 to accept the, the many ways while ignoring the, the one way that is offered to salvation, to, to offer to all for salvation. The question is, will we be ashamed? The Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. In the calling of the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Friends, this is a, gener this is a question that every generation faces. Will we bow to our culture or to Christ? Will we speak the gospel for we believe in the power of God for salvation for all who believe? Or will we be afraid of offending our colleagues and our neighbors? Will we see a deep care for people's eternal souls? Or will we be more concerned about what people will think about us? Will we try to profit from this world and forfeit our souls? Or will we say, I am not ashamed of the gospel? Listen, we will be shamed for the gospel. Paul was beaten with rods for his faith. He was mocked and yelled at and, and stoned. He was imprisoned and eventually executed for his faith. The world shamed him for believing in the resurrection. They mocked and they laughed at him when they said it, when he said it. But he was not ashamed of the gospel. He was willing to suffer reproach for the world, from the world, to suffer with Christ, so that those who are far from God could be reconciled through the gospel of Christ Jesus. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will be shamed by this world. Whether you are a teenager in, in school uh, or whether you are a worker in the workforce. You know, I once heard an Eastern European believer say, here in Eastern Europe, we fear the raised fist. 
In the West, in America, you fear the raised eyebrow. We are so concerned with what other people think of us. See, we have to come to grips with being persecuted, being maligned and shunned and marginalized for our faith. The great, the great travesty of the, the, the Western world is that we often love comfort more than we love the conviction of the gospel. The evil one will try to silence us because he knows the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. See, the evil one can do nothing with the sound of the gospel. We know that we could preach boldly and fiercely the call of Christ, and we know that when we scatter the seeds of the gospel, it will take root and it will sprout and people will be saved forever and ever and ever until the Lord returns. But you will be shamed. How dare you speak of the exclusivity of Jesus? How you dare you think that, 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 that marriage should be between a man and a woman? How dare you, Christian, for being intolerant of the views of others? They want to shame you. So it's coming, and I would just encourage you to have it in the deepest part of your hearts to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And in that moment, you share the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for all who believe. And the person who's standing across from you who is angry and maybe even foaming at the mouth and vitriol hatred for your views, they can be turned on a dime by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've seen it happen. The next reason, number three, I am not ashamed in the gospel, for it is the revealed righteousness of God. Paul continues in sharing why he's not ashamed of the gospel, continuing with the same line of thought. Look at verse 17. He says, for in it, in the gospel, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. There has been a tremendous amount of scholarly debate here about what exactly is the righteousness of God that Paul is re referring here. Uh, I've read probably 85 pages on this one idea. Um, he mentions the righteousness of God 60 times throughout the letter. It's a key theme in the book. Uh, what, it, what it probably is meaning here, the righteousness of God is the, is the righteousness from God that, he, that is given to his people. God is righteous and human beings are unrighteous. So God credits righteousness the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to sinners by faith. We need righteousness to be saved, and in the gospel, righteousness is revealed through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A pastor friend of mine succinctly says it this way, God's righteous character and the righteousness given to us is revealed from God's faithfulness in giving us saving faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, our righteousness is is founded on God's faithfulness. So our, our ability to believe does not primarily depend upon us. Like, I have to, to, to do this in me. No, it's God's gift to us. God's faithfulness to us is what's going to endure and sustain us. The gospel reveals how one is made righteous, and therefore we should not be ashamed of the gospel. The gospel reveals how we can be made right with God. And lastly, the fourth reason of why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. For in, for in it, the righteousness, the righteous who live by faith. For it is the righteous who live by faith. We are made right with God by faith. Friends, salvation begins and ends with God. Look at verse 17 again. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From faith for faith is implying that salvation starts and ends with faith. 
We even saw that in the scripture readings we had today in Habakkuk chapter 2 and Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Paul's reminding the church in, in, Galatia, in the churches of Galatia is that, listen, what, you be, what began by grace through faith continues by grace through faith. We are saved by faith and sanctified by faith. Our faith is from God and we are continued, our continued faith is from God. So when Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4 here, the righteous shall live by faith. The life of a Christian starts and is maintained by faith. We never outgrow our need for, for faith. Those who are made righteous by faith will live by faith. You know, as I was preparing this, I'm like, you know, it could be easy after hearing this message uh, on not being ashamed of the gospel is leaving ashamed of how you had been living for the gospel. You know, you may think of the sins that you did this past week, how you chose to, to run after the fleeting pleasures of sin rather than to trust in Christ. You may think of that opportunity that you had to maybe invite a friend to church or uh, invite, tell her to share the gospel with them when, when you, instead you, you remained silent. You maybe think of how you may neglected to read your Bible this past week or neglected to, to pray. Friends, I don't want you to leave here ashamed of the gospel. I don't want you to leave here ashamed at how you have been living this past week. I want you to leave unashamed by thinking not of yourselves, but of God and how glorious the gospel is. This is what we should do every single Sunday. This is what I, I pray and hope all your elders do. This is why you, you, you come and celebrate the anniversary of 59 years of a church is because you want to, to meditate and rejoice in the goodness and the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. See, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he was overwhelmed by it. If we are struggling to live an unashamed life, it is probably because we are not focusing on how amazing the gospel truly is. We're too enamored with other things, scrolling on social media or binging on, on Netflix. Every time we eat good food at a restaurant, what do you do? You tell people about it. Why? Because you want other people to share in that good food. Friends, if that is, if that is true for good food, Imagine it is when we taste and see that the Lord is good. Every time we taste his goodness, we should want to share it freely and boldly, unashamedly. Listen, I am, I am an unashamed Cubs fan. Every time I see someone wearing a Cubs hat to this day, I yell, go Cubs, and I give them a high five, right? And yet too often, I am hesitant to share the goodness of the gospel with others. I battle with the fear of man. I struggle with wanting to be loved and liked by the world. I want to be more like Paul, who, who boldly proclaims that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. See, my problem, and I, I dare say maybe your problem, is that we love this world too much. And we love the gospel too little. And brothers and sisters, this should not be. For the gospel is the most precious thing in all of life. When we fail to love God as we should, we should repent. We should confess our sins. And again, he who is faithful and just will forgive you of your sins. If you have lived in shame this past week, if you have sinned, whatever you have done, if you turn to Christ, he will forgive you today. 
you will, the weight of that burden that is bearing down upon your soul will be lifted if you turn to Christ. We have no need to be ashamed, for the gospel frees us from that shame. He knows everything about us and still loves us. God knows how you failed him last year and last week. He knows how you will fail him this week and next year. And yet, today, tomorrow, and for all time, Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother and sister. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He now sits at the right hand of God. So friends, who is there to condemn you? It is God who justifies. Who will put you to shame? For the Bible says, for all who call on the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. For I am sure of this, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has allowed this church to be faithful as a gospel witness for 59 years. So let, just, let me say this. Press on, weary saints. For we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, and gives faith that will last until we see our King in glory. Father, I pray for this church. I pray that they would not be ashamed of the gospel. God, I pray that they would know in the heart of hearts that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So I pray that these dear saints will be those who are righteous, who live by faith. We pray that you would do this for the good of Main Street Baptist Church. But we pray even more, God, that you would do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.